the Askell Leadership Podcast. Hello, my name is Rob Robson and I'm the Askell Trust Leadership Consultant. Welcome to the Trust Askell Podcast. This time I'm joined by Emma Gray, who is a school business manager, a multi-academy trust finance director, a trustee and a school resource management advisor. She has written for Education Executive, the Institute of Business Leaders, and she blogs on her own website, Working SBM. As you may have gathered, Emma is very experienced. And in our time together, she talks about how she came into business management, how that job has developed in the 17 years that she's been doing it, and how multi-academy trusts have changed the landscape. Emma also talks about the skills and experience that she's developed, including the consistently vital skill of change management. One of her great passions is supporting others, which she thinks is vital for the system, but also for the welfare of those working on the business and central services side of trusts. Welcome, Emma. Thank you for joining us. And please start by telling us a little about your career and how you got to where you are today. My name is Emma Gray. I am a school business manager in Gloucestershire at the moment and also finance director of a multi-academy trust. I started out as a school business manager in 2002, which was quite an early adopter of the name. It was mostly because the school that I joined wanted to become a business and enterprise specialist college, and the school felt that it was a good development for them to have a school business manager. So I joined as a school business manager and and went from there, really. I, I started with the finance processes, moved on into personnel and then went from there really taking on all of the operational side of running the school. In 2008, I moved to another school which was bigger and had more opportunities, I felt, part of the SLT and just a different dynamic really. And I was there for about 18 months before I moved back to Gloucestershire to join the school I'm currently with, which I've been here since January 2011, so I'm coming up for a 10-year anniversary. In 2011, we converted to an academy, and um, I helped with the the process of doing that. In 2016, we converted to a multi-academy trust, and I became finance director of the trust, which included being a trustee do pretty much all the operational side of running a school. I, when people ask me what a school business manager does, I tend to say we do everything but teach because that's pretty much it. You name it, in a school we do it. So that's been my journey. You mentioned that you're both a business manager and the finance director for a trust as well. So the business manager role is in a single school, is that right? That's right, yes. It's in a secondary school. Yeah, so quite a small trust and uh, one that's growing. So I have a, a sort of evolved into a, a bigger role. And, and as the trust grows, the um, I anticipate moving further and further away from the everyday work, operations work of, of the secondary school, which is 11 to 18 with over a thousand students. So it's, it's quite a big school, but here I'm responsible for, again, everything, finance, personnel, premises, health and safety. Health and safety has been a big big one this year with COVID. Uh, it's difficult to explain how much time it takes up answering lots of questions and health and safety. It's difficult to explain to people how much of a, of a 
a, a task for health and safety has become with COVID. Although I have other, other members of my team who do the tracking and tracing, it's about having one person in a school who knows all there is to know about every scenario when it comes to COVID. And, and there are many, many scenarios. What if so my cousin's brother has tested positive? What if my mum has got symptoms? There's all these questions coming in quick and fast on a daily basis. And it's about being able to respond to those really quickly. And the, although the responding doesn't take a lot of time, keeping up with the guidance and the, the responsibility, I guess, of, of having to answer those sort of questions, although it's a shared responsibility with the rest of the SLT, it naturally falls on the shoulders of the school business manager. So it, that's taken a lot, a lot of time this year, certainly. And I managed all of the lockdown time when we, we've been open all the way through for children of key workers and those who are vulnerable, as well as then being open from June for years 10 and 12. So all of those risk assessments and questions and anxious staff, it all needs to be managed. And it's, yeah, it's been a lot of work this year. And I don't think it's, uh, it can be underestimated for the school business manager at the end of 2020. I think we're all ready for that Christmas holiday. And in your experience and the people that you talk to, is COVID-19 in a trust situation, is that something that's been managed centrally or is that something that's been managed in individual schools? It tends to be managed, in my in our trust, it's managed in individual schools because we are a secondary school with two, with a primary school and a junior school. So there are, it's different and there are different demographics as well in each in each school. So uh, they do need to be managed individually. We're quite lucky in our trust in that we've got people in each school who are, have the capacity and capability to do that. If we did, but they still have support from myself if they've got any questions or any of those weird and wonderful queries that we all seem to be getting. I can support them with anything that comes up. They often need some support if, the, if a big decision's got to be taken, like closing a year group, they just having somebody to check through it. But that's one of the advantages of being in a match is that you, you're not on your own. Academisation process effectively put all schools out there on their own. And, um, and this is sort of almost winding that back. And joining a MAT means that you join, in our case, sort of family of like-minded schools so that we can all support each other. And, you know, I don't know everything there is to know about running a junior school and a primary school on the operations side so we work together to make sure that we are able to give the students and pupils in our setting the best experience whether that whether they be two years old or 18. I was also just wondering about you talked about growth earlier on and the the fact that your trust is preparing to grow is that the right? (laughs) Well trying to grow is more of it there are different regional differences on the desire to, to join maths of schools. The Gloucestershire area seems to be quite reticent to join uh, maths, whereas I'm uh, in my work as an SRMA, I go out to other, I cover other areas, and they are they are realising the benefits straight away and and joining together to, to get that shared experience so that they can there's economies of scale and there's you know support for each other in in that setup 
I think it's really one of those things that is perhaps it was too soon between the message that came out about the benefits of becoming an academy, which were freedoms and, you know, independence. And then it's perhaps too soon in my area, certainly, between that and then, well, okay, you've got your independence and your freedom. Now, how about joining together and having that independence and freedom, but as a bigger group? And as a, the media tend to, to be very negative about it because they're just reporting on the scare stories and the, the, the problems that some of the bigger trusts have experienced. But certainly in a small amount like ours, the, the benefits far, far outweigh the, the negatives. So could you just take us through one or two of the benefits? Well, yes, there are, there are the shared experience, I think, is a benefit. Um, the, you've got expertise in different schools, uh, different expertise in different schools. Like we, in the secondary school, we've done a lot of work in previous years on transitioning to year seven, which is a, a big transition for the students. And we've, we've been working with our some of our, our local primary schools to support that work from moving from year six to year seven. And, and if you've got schools within one trust who you can do that work with and you're all on the same sheet I mean the primary schools that we are are in our trust are not actually feeder schools but they often are in a map when you're in a map you almost get an experience from the beginning to end that takes you through both primary and just secondary experience even though they might be on different sites and and have different patches we don't promote a brand in our mat, as it were. I know some do, but um, we, we're very much separate schools and separate settings, but part of a sort of family, if you were, are, of, of schools. So there's benefits for the students, definitely. We also run events where the, the primary school students can come to use our science labs. They've got PE facilities. So there are lots of those kind of benefits. Obviously, if, if the setting, the schools are far away from each other, that becomes more difficult. But we're quite lucky in that we can do that. And then the, some of the other benefits would be leadership. And it's not just a sort of trust leadership, but you've also got, if you've got a SEN expert in one school, they can support some of the other SEN work in the other schools. If you've got, for example, maths expert at primary level in one school that can share that expertise with other primary schools it makes sense to be sharing the expertise that you've got in school and you don't need an expert in every school you just need to be able to share that out and it also gives opportunities for career development for staff if you've got more than one school of a similar base I mean we've got as I say we've got primary junior and a secondary so we we are not so much set up for that but we can see especially in the support roles we can see opportunities for staff to move roles but not employee so it benefits both staff and, and students. I was thinking about your work outside as well, because you work with other schools you mentioned earlier on behalf of the SFA, is that right? Yes, I am a, a schools resource management advisor, SRMA. I'm deployed by the ESFA. Well, see about the, the trust that I'm in run SRMA. So we appoint SRMAs to work for the trust, the ESFA, ask CBAT for SRMAs to deploy and then we deploy and I'm one of those SRMAs that CBAT deploys out so it's a bit way around the houses but it does mean that the ESFA I go out on behalf of the ESFA to uh, look at support other schools in their finances and that can be for all sorts of reasons it's not the big negative 
the thing that when it was first introduced, it's very, I take it as very much a supportive process um, in order to recover from things that have happened. And, and they can be small things, they can be big things, but it's about having another pair of eyes looking at it. Again, it's, it's about not working in complete isolation, but sharing skills that we've got in this industry. And professional generosity, which is another big word we use in, in our trust. I like the idea of professional generosity. That, that says a lot about system leadership, I think. The idea that in trusts, we should look outside our own trust both to learn from practice, but also to be able to support and advise wherever possible as well. Is that how you take that term to mean? Yes, it's about not being in splendid isolation, really. We're not just here to, to support the students that we have, but as a trust, we're, we're looking much more widely at, at our trust schools and also supporting other schools. We also are a teaching school in the old format. I know it's about to all change, but a teaching school which meant that we grew an alliance of local schools as well. And it was it's all about facing outwards into how can I support others who might not have the resources that we have. We all finding funding difficult. And so, you know, a school next door might have an expert in premises management, for example, and SIF bidding. And, you know, I would be very pleased to share in their expertise and at the same time got other skills such as finance and I might be able to support them in, in helping them I don't know draw up a, their ICFP plan so it's about sharing what we've got that's that's what's important for us. Could you tell us a little bit more about ICFP you mentioned that there and it's obviously something that's come into the system at a great rate of knots over the last well, probably the last year or so. I know it's been around for longer than that, but do you want to just talk to us a little bit more about ICFP? ICFP has been around for a long time and it, and it seems to have had all sorts of different guises and it was relaunched, as it were, probably two years ago, 18 months ago maybe, and everything's gone on hold over 2020. So, you know, I always feel like we've sort of left it behind, but the thing I always think about ICFP is that it's a really, really good tool to start asking questions. And what we all need to be doing, governors and trustees and leadership teams, is what questions do we need to ask? And what are other schools doing so that we can match ourselves against other benchmarking? And that's what ICFP does. It starts asking the questions, why is my contact ratio that number? And why is it not the same as the school down the road why is theirs so different what are they doing what am I doing and, and how can we work to get that to what's a, a more benchmarked or acceptable ratio and it's that sort of question that I think ICFP is really useful for. And perhaps we should say that it stands for Integrated Curriculum Financial Planning which uh, I forgot uh, to mention at the beginning and we're, we're so good at acronyms. In we are, we're all, we're all acronyms aren't we? I was asked the other day if I could possibly provide, I remember teaching staff, provide a list of all the acronyms I thought I'm just going to be there all year and that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely impossible. <laughs> One of the things that you're passionate about as well is the welfare of those staff who are involved in central services in the way that you are as well. And I know you've both blogged about this and run workshops and given advice on this as well. 
why do you think this is a particular issue that needs such attention at the moment? I think it, the, the industry is changing very rapidly and it's nothing new. The pace of change in, in, in the education industry has been massive for years and years. I mean, you just have to look back on, I don't know, I was looking back recently when it all started in the 1940s. It, it's, it's unrelenting, the pace of change, I think, and it changes so quickly that it's quite hard to keep up. It's quite hard to do what we are effectively employed to do, and that's keep looking forward into what and, and try and anticipate what those changes might be. As a school business manager of a school and a finance director of a trust, it's not conflict as such because you know we're all working for the same thing. But there, there, there is a balance. There's got to be work-life balance, but there is a, a balance into what you can reasonably do with a school and a trust together and and as maths grow it's that growth curve that's going to become more important I mean I'm I feel quite fortunate in that I've had some experience and training in change management but I'm sure there are a lot of schools out there who might find that quite tricky not only managing themselves in their own role but they call upon to be managing other staff as well and that that's what adds the, the challenges to uh, to keeping everybody positively moving forward so you're right I am very interested in in school business manager welfare and well-being because I think it's a really tough job if I'm honest and um, when people ask me why do you why do you do it if it's so difficult because the other side of the coin is is that I and I know a lot of my colleagues absolutely love it, but those jobs that you can really get your teeth into, that it's got a massive amount of variety, it's got a huge career potential if, if that's what you want, and it's just an amazing job, and I feel very lucky to have it, but at the same time, it's very hard work. <laughs> yes, I don't think there is an easy job in schools at the moment, I really don't. <laughs> Just going back to change management, what are your takeaways that trusts need to think about? If they're they're looking, I mean, inevitably, as you say, there will be change. So what types of things should we be looking out for there? I think from my experience of the changes that have happened during our trust growth curve, to call it something, it's about ensuring everybody understands what it is you're doing and it's not necessarily a happy transition moving in from an academy to into a mat it's quite hard work it involves a change in roles with the operation side quite often it can and also governorship the remit of governors can often change so it's a, it's about making sure everybody's informed, everybody buys into what it is they're doing, because they're doing it for the right reasons, but the, the change can be um, more than they expected. So it's a, it's, I think it's about bringing everybody along uh, for the, in, on the journey. One of our other podcasts, Neil Boston was talking about the commercial sector and the either merging or taking companies over indeed in in that sector. And one of the really interesting things he said was that the company that is doing the merger or doing the taking over needs to go through as much change as the one that is being taken over uh, as well. And I think that's something we probably underestimate a little bit. I wonder if you agree with that, that we underestimate the fact that a trust will have to change in order to accommodate another school. Yes, I think that's right. I think that each school that you take into a, 
and that brings with it uh, its own dynamic, its own uh, difficulties, its own successes. It's got its own local area. It's got its own. It will have its own phase most likely and it's got the individual students that it's got at the time and and that will have an impact on the matter as a whole if you've got one school coming in with a high SEN student body for example then that's going to have an impact on the whole maths SEN provision thinking about how centrally um, they can provide the best for those students in the same way that finances as you grow as a match your finances finance processes inevitably change and that brings with it you need more expertise in certain areas and so that so central services grow uh, as the match does our aim was to make as many centralized services available as we could that didn't necessarily mean that the secondary school provided all those services because the, there's a lot of expertise in the others what the aim was to ensure that quite a lot of centralised things that you might normally buy in from an external provider, including the LA, was something that was provided by the trust. But that doesn't come overnight. We can't suddenly magic that kind of expertise. Any of us can't just suddenly present the trust with that capacity. And all of the schools, when they when they join the MAT, have what they need in their own schools. They may not have capacity for other uh, to take on other schools. Uh, so that's something that grows over time and for the MAT means a constant change management, a constant thinking about what can we provide next year, what can we implement, Do will we need more staff, can we afford more staff. So yes, constant change I think in leading a MAT and you hope. Uh, the aim in that is to make, make it as smooth as you can so that it's not anything that's experienced by the end user, the students, they need to continue with their teaching and learning but it's all behind the scenes things that go on and that's what the school business manager even if you are a school business manager joining a mat rather than leading a mat there will still be a lot of change that and process that you need to go through in order to get a seamless joining together of the, of the two schools so i take away from that that both the school joining and the trust itself are going to be going through a continuous process of change. And we know that change can be wearing at times, particularly if there's an awful lot of it happening, as there is at the moment with COVID-19. So what should trust leaders do to make sure that the people at the epicentre of those changes, the, the school central team, the MAT central team, how should they ensure that their welfare is looked after so that they don't get overwhelmed by the amount of change that's necessary? I think support from the trustees is a big one for me. Uh, I'm very fortunate in that I have the support of the leadership teams in all of our schools as well as the trustees so that I feel that decisions we make and changes that we make are supported as part of the trust strategy. It goes back to not being in it on your own. As a school business manager in a standalone school, you can find that the decisions that you make are not supported by governors. And although you know that they are in the best interests of, of the operations of the school, they if they're not part of that whole strategic view, then they can be 
hard to deliver. The advantage of being in a mat is that you've got more tiers of leadership. So you've got the trustees, you've got the governors, you've got your own leadership team and the leadership team of, of your other schools in the trust working together to get the, the best out of that change process and out, out of ensuring that the centralised systems work for every school. That's so important. I recently drew up a policy that is a trust-wide policy. So it, not only is it going to all of the heads and, and all of the leadership teams and all of the governors and trustees and the business managers, and they all bring their own input, which is a really useful way of making sure that policy is fit for purpose. Let's go back to answer your question. I think it's ensuring that what you're doing is part of a wider strategy, that you're not going off on your own tangent, because I think it's very easy to become overwhelmed by something that only you are doing and focused on. You've got to keep focused on the direction of travel of your trust. I think that's where change becomes exhausting, doesn't it? It becomes exhausting when it's not part of a strategy. So one of the reasons that we're seeing so much exhaustion in schools and trusts at the moment is because it's not part of a strategy. It can't, it can't be under, fortunately, under COVID-19. It's an ever-changing situation. And trying to manage that change, I think, is therefore very tiring. And you just put it really nicely about the fact that it is impossible at the moment to get a good strategy in place in order to minimise the stress of that change as well. So one of the things with COVID is that, is that we don't know how long it's going to last. So we're set up all the schools are now set up for a September, we're set up for a September 2020 opening, and we knew what we were doing, but that is might bear no comparison to what's happening in March. We just don't know what's around the corner. And that, I think, is really wearing as well, because if you can imagine, I've got a great deal more cleaners than I would normally have. I have to make sure that I can afford 20 academic year 21-22 and because I don't know whether I'm going to need those cleaners they have got to be on a temporary contract effectively so it does make it more difficult to manage the people their expectations how long are we going to be in this situation for how long am I going to have to clean my desk every time I sit down it does become very difficult and I and I understand why people are anxious about it yeah absolutely you mentioned earlier that you are a trustee within the trust that you are working in at the moment. How does that work in terms of accountability? How can you be accountable to other trustees if you are a trustee yourself? When we became a trust in 2016, we had long conversations about um, who should be on the trust board. And uh, we wrote into the articles that CEO and the finance director would be part of that board. CEO is there to um, to report on the on the teaching and learning of in the trust schools, and I am there to report on the finance and operations of the schools. And the governors or trustees that were there at the time were very comfortable with that because they come from private enterprises, private industry, and they understood the role of the finance director on a trust board. We couldn't see any conflicts, but just this year, the Academy's Finance Handbook have suggested, going to say that there should only be one staff member on the trust board. And clearly it needs to be the CEO as the um, teaching and learning. That, that's our sort of core role, our core job. So, and the trustees core job is to maintain the, the teaching and learning. Personally, I think we miss that link between 
trustees and finance. Um, and I think it's an important link. And I, I'm not sure I personally understand with or agree with the direction of travel on there. I, I'm speaking to other colleagues. It's not something that's going to change. And I have accepted that I'm going to be written out as it were, from the trust board. But um, I will still be attending the trust meeting, so I'm still there, not holding my hand up to vote at the end of the, the meeting. My only other worry is that schools traditionally find it difficult to get governors, and um, finance governors can be tricky experts to find. And whether that uh, will feed through onto trustees, we're quite lucky in that we've got a couple of finance industry trustees so one could argue that they don't need me but actually there's probably a lot of schools out there who need that financial expertise on their board. I always think it's also important that trustees who come from a finance background particularly if it's a commercial finance background understand that there is a fundamental difference in public finances not in the way that they are run or the levels of accountability but in the fact that schools and trusts are not required to make a profit in the end so they're not actually required to make money um, nor nor are they required to to show profit at the end of it so I think it's just important that trustees do remember that. Yeah and I often meet with governors in my role as an SRMA and they can be very highly experienced and experts in their field of finance but can be completely fluxed when it comes to being presented with education finance MI. It can be very different. Uh, it can be shown in all sorts of different ways. And then, as you know, if we go back to ICFP, it's about understanding what, what does that mean? What, what do I have to do with that information? And um, that can, can be very different. One of the things that I think is most different in my conversation with commercial finance directors is the, the level of staffing. I think a lot of commercial uh, as a as a percentage of a total budget i think a lot of commercial directors are really quite surprised how high that level is in uh, trusts and schools but of course that's how trusts and schools run isn't it yeah <laughs> yes great fantastic you've given us all sorts of really interesting insights to uh, have a think about there uh, emma um, i ask everybody this at the end so if you've listened to a, a, a trust school podcast you'll know this question's coming but what when you're not being an extremely busy leader um do you do to relax <laughs> all right um i like to i've got dogs so i like to walk dogs i'm interested in in cooking and eating so yeah no, just family stuff really i haven't done this year but i got a lot of satisfaction out of blogging and writing magazine articles uh, which I very much enjoyed doing that but uh, this year there's been so much other things going on really that's I think one thing that school business managers all need to do is look after themselves and um, sometimes something's got to give and unfortunately with me it was the writing this year but I'm hoping to get back to it I just need to just need a breather over Christmas I think and then I'll be there. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Emma, for giving us your time, your expertise and your knowledge during this really difficult time for school business managers and for trust finance staff as well. It's been very, very challenging. So, mm -hmm. A, thank you for giving us time in this small window that we've taken here, but also um, thank you for the 
advice which I know you give both to Askell and to other leaders within the system as well. I know it's very much appreciated too. But thank you so much for your time today. It's been great. Thank you. The Askell Leadership Podcast. 